First Peter chapter one, please. First Peter chapter one. <clears throat> Follow along with me as you read verses 22 through 25. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. I'm going to draw your attention here to these verses, and we're going to talk about what the word of God produces uh, from this text here. These verses that we've read here are built on previous verses. Uh, in chapter 1 regarding salvation that we possess in Christ. Look back to verse 17. Paul sets the stage here, or Peter rather, with verse 17. He says, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. He says, if we were to study this out, he says, You have salvation in Christ. You have the promise of heaven before you. You are not there yet. And so, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And Peter shows what focus we ought to have as we live this mortal life. It ought to be eternal. And the reason it ought to be eternal is because we're going to stand before God. So he says, you have salvation. You have the promise of heaven. While you live here, Pass the time of your sojourning in fear. Verses 18 through 21 talks about salvation only being in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he gets to verse 22, uh, we know that Peter is still is talking to Christian people because the very first words he says is, Seeing ye have, seeing ye have purified your souls. He's talking to Christian people. So since you've been saved, yes, praise the Lord, but you're still living here past this time with the understanding that we'll eventually stand before the Lord. And here is how you should live while you're here. So that's kind of the setting, and we're not going to flesh all of that out. I just want to focus on our verses here. But what I do want you to understand before we get going here is that there is a common theme in our text verses. The common theme is the Word of God. It's not just the Word of God, though. More specifically, it's actual obedience to the Word of God that is the theme or the common theme here. And if there is obedience to the Word of God, it will produce how we should live here. So that's the idea uh, with these verses here. It is obedience to the Word of God. It is going to produce how we should live here. And I want to draw out three different things from this passage. Obedience to the Word of God is going to produce three things. First of all, in verse 23, we find that obedience to the Word of God produces eternal life. All right, so the whole, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this, but the whole theme 
of the message this afternoon is obedience to the Word of God. What will it produce in the life? Number one, it produces eternal life. Look at verse 23. He says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Verse 23 tells us that we are born again. What does it mean to be born again? Well, it means brand new. It means new spiritual life. And according to this verse, it comes by the Word of God. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now notice that it's called incorruptible seed. In verse 23, we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. It is incorruptible seed. That is a Greek word that means undecaying and it means immortal. All right. So the seed is undecaying and it is immortal. And if the seed is the thing that gives life and the seed is undecaying and immortal, then the life that the seed produces is also undecaying and immortal and therefore eternal. The Word of God in obedience to it produces eternal life. Now notice also that it liveth and abideth forever. In other words, the Word of God is alive. It's not like other books. It's a supernatural book. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick and powerful. That word quick means alive. The Word of God is alive. It's not like other books. It's not like self-help books. It's not like character-building books. It's not like words of men. The Word of God is alive, and it's going to remain forever. It's not going anywhere. It liveth, and it abideth forever. And the life that the Word of God brings is not going anywhere either. That's another stamp, amen, for the eternal security of the believer. If you're saved, you can never lose that spiritual life, amen. But how do you gain that life, though? Look at verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. You've purified your soul in obeying the truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now look at verse 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So then what we find here is that it is obedience to the truth. The truth is the word of God. Verse 25 says, this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. It is obedience to the gospel that produces eternal life. Obedience to the gospel is what brings about life. And the question is, do you want eternal life or do you want eternal torment? Do you want eternal life? Well, the Word of God says you've got to obey the gospel. That word obey means to hearken. It means to submit. It means to heed the gospel. Do you want eternal torment? 
then you disobey or reject the gospel. Look at, hold your place, but look at 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those that do not obey the gospel of the Lord are going to experience the vengeance of God. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. That's not the right verse. Kind of going to blame it on Brother Humphrey. I don't know why, I'm just going to. Because somebody's got to be blamed. Is it verse 17? Yes, that's it. Thank you. I forgot the one. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? In other words, obedience to the gospel produces eternal life. Disobedience to the gospel produces eternal torment or damnation. And he compares it to mortal life in our text in verse 24, because he says in verse 24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. He says it's going to pass away. All of this world is going to pass away, and it's going to pass away quickly. All of what man has produced in this world, all of what man upholds as good, is quickly going to burn up. But it's only the Word of God and the life that the Word of God produces that is going to last. And I would simply say this as we move on to the next point. If you're here this morning, this afternoon, and you've not been saved, you heard a lot about it this morning in the morning service. You need to obey the command of the gospel. You need to obey. And the command of the gospel is to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do that today. The second thing that I really want to point out to you and where we're going to spend most of our time is that obedience to the gospel and obedience to the Word of God not only produces eternal life, but obedience to the Word of God then also produces purity of life. Notice in verse 22, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. You see that? You've purified your souls in obeying the truth. Not only does it produce eternal life, but obedience to the word produces purity of life. We're commanded to build our life on the truth. Jude says that, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. We're commanded to uh, to submit to the Word of God and to grow and to develop Christ-likeness through the Word of God. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. Our growing, our maturing uh, comes mainly through the knowledge of God that we get uh, concerning His character from His Word. 
and knowledge is good. We have to have that. But then it's through the application and the obedience to the word that it actually becomes effectual and effective in our life. Go to Psalm 119 with me. Psalm 119. We read these this morning for our scripture reading. And let me direct your attention to verse 9. Psalm 119.9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? There's a question that's being asked. And he also gives the answer. Here's how. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. The word of God becomes the means of cleansing of a man's way. And the question is asked, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? The, the, the uh, thought that comes to mind here is that the writer, which pro- would be David, was not a young man at the time. In fact, just the opposite. He was one who has, who has lived, who's been old. He's not a young man. He's an older man, and he's anxious to give advice to young men. Wherewithal? Shall a young man cleanse his way? The word means how or means what. How is your way going to be cleansed? Or what is going to cleanse your way? To cleanse his way means means to make a clean path. And it holds the idea and carries the implication of a clean life, a way of life. What is going to make your life clean? How do you cleanse your life and make your way straight or clean? How do you have a clean life? The answer is, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's the answer to the question that is raised by looking to God's word, by guiding yourself by God's word. The young man may cleanse his way by the word of God and nothing else. By taking heed. Taking heed to the word of God. The word, the phrase, taking heed, it means to keep or give attention to. But the Hebrew text speaks more of and carries this heavy weight to it. It speaks more of obedience to God's word. Obedience to the word of God is going to be the very thing that without fail will cleanse a person's life. How? What? Will cleanse your way of life, taking heed, keeping, giving attention, but rather obedience to the word of God. And Jesus said in John 15 and verse 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You know what, friend? You can know the Bible. You can know it forwards and backwards. If you've been in this church very long at all, you're being fed and taught the Word of God. If you've grown up in a Christian home, you're being fed and taught the Word of God. You can have knowledge of the Word of God. You can know it forwards and backwards. But that knowledge does you absolutely no good without obedience to it. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And look at verse 22. 
But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I wonder how many people who sit in Baptist churches in the pews are deceived people. Being doers of the word, not hearers only. All of you are hearers of the word of God. How many of you are doers? Because the one who doesn't do or obey is a deceived person. Deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He's like, you that know the word of God and hear it, but you don't do it. It's like you just waking up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you see the bedhead and you see the, all of the, the dysfunction going on. And you turn around and walk away and you forget what you look like. Hey, I look pretty good. The word of God shows us what manner of men we are. It teaches us and shows us what we look like. And then he says in verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like that dude that looks at himself and forgets what he is. But then you go to verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The knowledge of the Word of God does absolutely no good without obedience to it. But when we obey it, it cleanses our way. It keeps our path. When we obey it, it produces purity in the life. Thomas Manton said this. He said, until the Word of God be owned as a divine and infallible truth, it hath no efficacy upon us when it is received merely as conjecture or as a possible truth, it works but weakly. Aye, but then it profits when we receive the Word of God as the Word of God, as a certain truth. When the soul comes to determine, surely these truths in which I am deeply concerned, upon which my life or death depends... Why do we have to go through the pain of disciplining people from the church? Because they're not taking heed in obeying the word. Because it produces purity in the life. How many are deceived? How many of you are deceived? You know, but you're not a doer. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin 
against thee. We must, we must, we must know and obey God's word because it keeps us and it cleanses us. Amen? It produces purity in the life. Go back to our text and I want you to see the third thing and the final thing. Obedience to the word produces eternal life. It produces purity in the life. And thirdly, it, obedience to the word produces love. In verse 22, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. You know, love for the brethren is a mark of salvation. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It's a mark of salvation. Jesus said in John 13 and verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Once we're saved by the word of God, we begin to be shaped into the image of Christ through the word of God. That is going to begin to produce love, the love of Christ in the life. Notice how he says that obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned love. That word unfeigned means sincere. It means not fake. Not fake love. In other words, the implication is there is some fake love out there, even among the brethren. Some fake love. There's an element of hypocrisy probably in every church. We try to keep that in check. But real love that is produced from obedience to God's word is not fake love. It's very sincere love, actually. And sometimes that love is evidenced in the need to do very hard things. Sometimes that real love is evidenced in the need to do very hard things. But it is genuine love, genuine love for our brethren, and a desire to be obedient to God's word, friend, that compels us, compels us to do the hard thing. We've dealt with something very hard. How many times have we heard the story, though, of churches where there's known immorality or sin and the pastor or the church just sort of sweeps it under the rug. I don't want to deal with it or I don't want to make waves or I have this image that I want to portray and keep up. And so let's not deal with it. That is not love. That is fake love. It's not love to sweep it under the rug. That's hiding. Maybe one is more concerned about our own image. That's feigned or fake love. But it's also, friend, friend, it's not love to not deal with it. 
Obedience to God's word produces real love. Sometimes that's evidenced by having to do hard things. We say, yes, amen, that's right. We're going to stand on the word of God. But there's another side to this. Real love, genuine love, sincere love is also a love that doesn't hold a grudge. It's also not love to hold a grudge. When one has sinned, when one has fallen, we can be sometimes very self-righteous. Oh, we're going to stand on the truth. We're going to do right. Rah, rah, rah. But there's no openness in the heart for forgiveness or restoration. That's not real love either, to hold a grudge. Jesus said, you that are without sin, first cast a stone. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, And above all things, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. What I'm saying is this. We need both. We need love for the brethren that's going to deal with the issue, that's going to be compelled to stand on the word of God. But we also need a heart that's full of love that is open to forgiveness and restoration because that's who God is. That's who God is. He is love. And He loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. We need to constantly be advancing to a place where there is genuine, unfeigned love for one another. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. The bottom line at the end of the day he says, the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Sometimes, sometimes families have battles and hard things. But there should always be a spirit of true love that is superior to anything else. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's real love. Verse 22 of our text says, See that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. That pure heart means clean. See that ye love one another. It's not fake, and it's clean. A pure heart, fervently. It means intently, and it means continuously. That's through all seasons. That's through all times, intently, continuously. I just ask the question, 
how do you see each member of the church? Those that are sitting across the aisle from you. Those that are sitting in front of you or behind you. How do you see them? This is supposed to be a family. Real love produces unity. And by the way, personally, I felt a very great sense of unity on Wednesday night. There was unity in this church. There's love here. That unity enables us to have the power of God on us, like the church in Acts, who was of one accord of the same mind. That's a good thing. The power of God enables for miraculous things, and it's a miraculous thing when the Lord grabs a hold of someone's heart and brings about godly sorrow and real repentance that leads to restoration. That's a miraculous thing. What I'm simply saying is this. We are called upon to love with a pure heart and fervently. And how do we do that? It's through obedience to the Word of God. It's through obedience to the Word of God. It produces eternal life. It produces purity of life. It produces real love. And if there was ever one thing to try to get across in this message or something I would ask of you, I would ask of you this. Can we together commit to being in and obeying this book together? Can we commit to that? Not to deceive ourselves, but to be committed to be obedience to this book because of what it produces in our life. It keeps us. It cleanses us. And we must live, actually live this book. Our very life depends on it. I'm so thankful the Lord has given us the word of God. Let's not be so foolish. Amen. To not live what he's given us. Our very life depends on it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the word of God. And may we have even more of a commitment to not only know it, but to live by it, to take heed to it, to obey it. Help us to see how much our very life depends on it. We see how we can get off the path. We can err. And I'm so thankful that the Word of God is there to show us the path. It's there for reproof when we start to stray. It's there to correct, to show us how to get back on it. And it can keep us there. It can instruct us in the way of righteousness. That the man of God, the child of God, may be complete, truly furnished unto all good works. Not only does it cleanse our way, but it keeps our way. Help us to learn to love and to live your word. May it be so valuable and precious 
to God's people. In Jesus' name, amen.